Welcome in to another edition of the Wisports.net podcast. I'm Travis Wilson, general manager at Wisports.net, and your host for the WSN podcast. We are into the heart of the uh, the basketball season, the winter sports season, and on today's edition of the WSN podcast, December 9th, two thousand twenty-one. We're going to have a conversation a little bit later with Mark Miller, our boys basketball writer at WSN. Catch up with Mark to uh, to get some insight onto uh, the things happening in the early part of the season here, the first couple weeks where teams are, are getting underway. Most teams have played multiple games. There's a few that have only gotten one game in, but uh, many of them have, have played a number. In fact, there's uh, some teams that have played six, even seven games at this point in the year. See if there's any surprises, any trends developing, um, and uh, have a little bit bigger conversation with Mark about some of the favorites and contenders for the Mr. Basketball Award, which is presented by the Wisconsin Basketball Coaches Association, sponsored by our good friends over at Just a Game Fieldhouse, and uh, you know, just just get an idea on who to watch this year. It's still very early; there's still a long ways to go, but. We know that there's kind of a profile of who is in that conversation. Highly ranked kids with a good kind of name recognition and, and uh, you know history and career to this point. You got to be on a successful team. So we'll talk to Mark about who fits that profile. And uh, just a reminder that our WSN podcast is brought to you by the Wisconsin Department of Transportation. Help save lives on Wisconsin roads and eliminate crashes. Join the Wisconsin Department of Transportation's new campaign, Buckle Up, Phone Down. Commit to always buckle your seatbelt and put your phone down while driving. Every trip, every time. Take the pledge at wisconsindot.gov. Before we get to that conversation with Mark about uh, the, the early basketball season, I want to just touch on a little bit a couple things that maybe flew a little bit under the radar from the WIAA in the last week or so, um, kind of off-court, uh, you know, administrative type of things. The first was uh, some uh, some information about the formation and the makeup of the competitive balance ad hoc committee, and then also earlier this week some uh, some news from the WIAA conference realignment task force as they have uh, been doing some early work on some realignment proposals. But start with uh, let's start with that ad hoc committee for competitive balance, something that the WI obviously has been talking about dealing with for many, many years. Um, it, it goes much farther even than, what was it, 2013 or 14, whatever it was, when there was a big push about a multiplier and then a reducer and a success factor. And there was a, a previous competitive balance committee um, at that time. That, that recommended the success factor, by the way, those conversations, that idea of competitive equity or public-private, however you want to frame it, have, have been going on for a long time. And, excuse me, it, it came to a head big time in that 2014-2015 time frame um, with, uh, with some of those uh, kind of, uh, you know, interesting annual meetings uh, where all of that was talked about, discussed, tabled, um, you know, there were some some fireworks at some of those meetings. It was kind of fun. The last few annual meetings have, have been um, not quite as exciting as, as those were back during that time, which isn't bad either. But the idea of competitive equity has not gone anywhere. And uh, I can't remember if it was earlier this year or last year, the, the WIA decided to um, look into it further with the formation of a competitive balance ad hoc committee. And they could, conducted their first meeting last week and uh, 
the the 24 members on that committee. Um, I'm not going to name all of them off, but it is a representation of the WIAA membership, large schools, small schools, public schools, private schools, um, you name it, uh, folks are on it. Jordan Sins, the district administrator at Wisconsin Heights, and Michelle Guyant Holloway, the athletic, uh, athletic director at Tosa East, are the co-chairs of that committee. And the first meeting they had was really a, 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 an informational discussion type of thing, just to get things going in that conversation. And, and it's interesting to note from the WIAA's news release, it does say, the committee acknowledged an understanding there is a perceived issue with competitive balance and began con uh, conversations regarding identification of the contributing factors. There's kind of a lot to unpack from that that single statement, that single sentence within that article. Um, number one, the the use of perceived in terms of perceived issue with competitive balance. So, you know, they're, they're, they're not coming out and saying, yes, competitive balance is a problem or it's an issue or whatever. It's, you know, it's a perceived issue. And so um, it, it starts there that, you know, they, they've got to identify if it is an issue or if it's a perceived issue. And then, uh, you know, the part about beginning conversations regarding identification of the contributing factors. So that's going to be a, a, a key part of the whole conversation is it's, it's one thing to say competitive balance isn't there or that, uh, you know, public school or private schools win too much or whatever, but um, getting down to those contributing factors. And, and they do mention in there, and there was, a, I believe, a follow-up release, perhaps in the Board of Control meeting, um, where it was talked about that they were going to uh, work with a, an outside firm to develop a communication plan and to analyze data. So that analyzation of, analyzation, I don't know if that's a word or not, but I just used it, um, that uh, data uh, analyzing you know, will be a key part of it to, to see what the data says and, and not just rely on assumptions, not just rely on, you know, it, it seems like this is the way it is, putting actual hard data behind it. So uh, a big task ahead of them, um, they will meet twice monthly, once in person, once virtually um, for the next couple months. And, and I think the idea, the goal is to have some kind of, um, you know, I don't know if you would call it a plan or a proposal, but to have some kind of uh, outcome ready for uh, the, the annual meeting that comes up in, in April. I don't know if that will be have a plan on the agenda to vote on at the April meeting or if it will be to have you know a, a larger presentation available at that time. Um, you would hope, and I think they will, you know, make sure that uh, they're they're doing their due diligence, that things are 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 done in a way to try to address things without it being rushed, without it being, um, you know, having an artificial deadline on things. So, the first meeting of that competitive balance committee was held um, earlier this week or or last week, whatever it was. Uh, more to come, and it'll be interesting to see kind of how much. Um, you know, comes out of those meetings, how much is provided. If, if they provide updates on here's what we're thinking, here's the way things are going, here's what we have identified as the issues, all that good stuff. Or if it's just going to be kind of generic updates. And then, you know, at the, the end of their tenure, if you will, 
um, at the end of the committee, then they, they put out a plan or recommendation or proposal, or maybe that proposal or plan is status quo. We don't know. Um, but there's a lot of good people on that committee to, uh, to work on it. Again, representing all kinds of different cross sections of the WIA membership from size of schools to location of schools to public private, uh, all that good stuff. And, um, so interested to see where things go with that. The other item on the WIA uh, newswire that came out this week was the first meeting of the realignment task force for 21-22. And, and this task force um, is dealing right now with uh, conference realignment requests not related to football. If you remember, football has been removed from the regular conference realignment process. So there's now two processes. There's football only, and then there's everything else. Because... For many, many years, football has largely driven realignment in the state of Wisconsin. That uh, was the, the, the reason for that uh, large-scale Southeast Conference realignment back uh, five, six years ago. The same for that Northeast Wisconsin realignment that occurred. And so removing football from the, the regular realignment process just makes things a lot easier. So... Um, the first uh, meeting of that task force was uh, earlier this week, Tuesday, at the WI office. There were a number of proposals of requests from the schools that came in. Some of them they voted to advance. Some of them they did not vote to advance. And, and when, when I say vote to advance, it, it's just advance to the next stage of the, the process. It's, it's a recommendation. Um, there's another task force meeting coming up early January um, where any of the schools that either were approved, denied, impacted in some way uh, can provide feedback, um, and then they'll continue that process, and eventually it'll make its way through to the WIA Board of Control for any possible um, finalization and approvals. That uh, Board of Control meeting would be the March meeting where they would approve or deny officially the conference realignment plans, because according to WIA bylaws, the Board of Control does have final authority on conference realignment. The, ta uh, the task force, the conference realignment task force, is uh, tasked with doing the hard work of uh, evaluating all the different proposals, collecting all the information, uh, and making recommendations to the Board of Control. Um, but of note, there was a couple, I think, and we'll start with a little bit smaller one, where uh, they voted to support a proposal that would add Kingdom Prep Lutheran to the Midwest Classic Conference. Kingdom Prep is a school that's been around for a few years now. Their athletic team has, uh, has been playing a number of WIAA uh, teams in different sports and uh, looking for a conference home. In fact, this past year in football, when Kenosha Christian Life dropped football, Kingdom Prep stepped in and essentially played their schedule as a a non-conference fill-in, if you will. Um, but they're looking to move to the Midwest Classic Conference, and Watertown Luther Prep is looking to move to the Midwest Classic Conference from the Capital Conference. That plan was uh, uh, supported to be advanced by a 12-3 to 3 vote. Some plans that did not get support uh, from the task force, it does not mean that they can't be revisited or that those schools cannot provide further information or appeal, but... Uh, Ripon and Berlin wanted to move from the East Central to the South Central. That was uh, 
uh, not supported. Assumption wanted to move from the Merrillwood to the Central Wisconsin Conference. That was not supported. And then St. Mary Catholic wanted to go from the Big East to the CWC Large um, for pretty much all sports, and that was not supported. A big, uh, maybe not that big, but uh, probably the most noteworthy plan or uh, proposal that was supported was a, a modified proposal that they received from Monroe and Delavandarian. And what that would do is it would move McFarland from the Rock Valley back to the Badger, which is an interesting move because McFarland was in the Badger Conference for uh, a number of years and uh, requested to move out and was moved to the Rock Valley Conference uh, probably 10 years ago, somewhere in there. Also, Monroe moving from the Badger to the Rock Valley. Beloit Memorial moving from the Big 8 to the Southern Lakes. And Delavandarian moving from the Southern Lakes to the Rock Valley. So some interesting kind of domino effects there. Delavandarian has been trying to get out of the Southern Lakes for a long time. Uh, they're the, the smallest school in that league. Their enrollment is down under 800 for sure and in, in, in creeping lower uh, compared to some of the bigger schools in the Southern Lakes of, you know, 1,000, 1,200 plus. And uh, so they, the Rock Valley seemed like the best home for them if you could find a solution. Um. Again, Monroe looking to move to the Rock Valley from the Badger Conference. That's kind of an interesting move. I, 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 you know, it seems like Monroe has been competing pretty decently in the Badger over the years. Their basketball team has been solid. Their girls' basketball team uh, was very, very good for, for many years, obviously. Uh, their football team does compete in the Rock Valley now, um, but they're looking to make that move. And I wonder how much of that is is travel-related. They're down there on the southern edge of the state, obviously, and you know, traveling to uh, the water towns and the beaver dams and the Reedsburg Sauk prairies, it's a little bit of a hike. So Rock Valley may suit them a little bit better geographically. Beloit Memorial has, has had some pre pretty considerable struggles in that athletic department for a number of years. And, uh, you know, not necessarily uh, a great fit for the Big 8 anymore, especially with the way that some of those suburban schools have grown. Middleton, Verona, Sun Prairie with Sun Prairie splitting into two schools now, um, it, it would have left the Big 8. It does leave the Big 8 as of, excuse me, as of now with 11 teams. Again, this is for all sports except for football. So the, the Beloit Memorial uh, leave, moving out would leave that Big 8 back at 10 schools, an, an even number, which is a little bit easier to manage. And the Southern Lakes uh, always seemed like if, if they were going to go somewhere, the Southern Lakes seemed like the uh, the place for Beloit Memorial to go. So a few changes there. Uh, again, those were supported by a 15 to nothing vote, which would seem to um, you know provide a pretty good idea of how things may go. Um, if I had to guess, I, I would think those changes would uh, would go through. But again, they have to go through a couple levels still. There's that. Um, the additional meetings to be held in January, and then the Board of Control final vote March 6th, or excuse me, March 8th, to uh, approve or deny any and all plans at that time. So just some interesting news in the, the off-the-court uh, off realm with, uh, with the WIAA, um, and, and we'll continue to have some more. There's going to be continued meetings on conference realignment. There's going to be continued meetings on um, 
the competitive equity situation. We're starting to get to that time where you could start to see some ideas floated for the annual meeting coming up in April. And uh, with, with all the challenges the WIA has faced in the last 18 months or so uh, with the COVID pandemic and having to shut down the 2020 state basketball tournament, having much more limited state tournaments last year, um, there, there's been a pretty significant financial hit on the association that they are, uh, of course, reviewing and trying to recover from. And, of course, a, a pretty significant change in leadership at the WIAA with Stephanie Hauser replacing Dave Anderson, with uh, Wade Lebecki's retirement, with new staff members coming in, uh, LeVar Ridgeway, Mel Dow, some, some changes in the office with Joan Grella retiring, Cassie Mortimer uh, promoted to assistant director. So there's been a number of changes at the WIAA that uh, are, are going to be interesting to see how they continue to uh, to to impact high school sports. Um, anytime that you have a, a change in leadership, there's a, oftentimes a change in viewpoints, a change in how things are done, and you know what things they are open to, what things they will want to try. And already we have seen uh, some some different uh, ideas that have been either uh, implemented or talked about, and we're going to see continue to see those. There's there's going to be some. Some really interesting uh, uh, things coming out, I think, in football, where the coaches' advisory just had their meeting uh, last week, and there will be some discussions at the January Board of Control meeting about, you know, some uh, some cool enhancements that they're looking at doing to some things, um, tournament related uh, implementation and how it's promoted and things like that. So we'll uh, we'll stay tuned to those. We'll we'll leave those until they become official with the WIAA or from the WIAA. Before we have our conversation with Mark, I want to take one more chance to remind you that you can help save lives on Wisconsin roads and eliminate crashes. Join the Wisconsin Department of Transportation's new campaign, Buckle Up, Phone Down. Commit to always buckle your seatbelt and put your phone down while driving every trip, every time. Take the pledge at wisconsindot.gov. So that'll do it for our, uh, our our early conversation. We're going to get to our, our talk with Mark in, uh, in in just a second here, get his thoughts on some early season basketball news, some Mr. Basketball favorites, and uh, get, uh, get our basketball season going in full bore. So uh, join us here as we continue that conversation with Mark. And as promised, for a little bit more of a deep dive into the boys' high school basketball season, the early part of the year, how things are going, and also a little bit of a, 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 a more focused look on some uh, contenders for the Mr. Basketball Award in the state of Wisconsin, we turn to our guy, Mark Miller, boys basketball writer, WBCA Hall of Famer. Mark, um, good to have you on again today. I know we just uh, talked last week for our season preview on the podcast, but uh, I want to get a little bit more into some of those items. So let's dive right into it. And uh, we're a couple weeks into the season. Most teams have, have played a couple of games by now. Anything standing out? Any surprises as we look over the high school boys basketball landscape here in the, the early part of the season? Well, you know, there's always a few surprises here and there. Um, but by and large, I would say uh, things are going, you know, according to, to plan, so to speak. You know, Pewaukee's dominating the, in the two games that it has played to date uh, in Division Two, And I led with them because many feel they're the best team in the state. Uh uh, no matter the division, uh, De Pere's off to a strong start um, in Division One. 
um, Waukee Academy of Science in Division Four, Randolph in Five, and Lake Country Lutheran in Three. Those are our top-ranked teams in the Wisports.net poll, coaches poll, and um, none of those are surprises at this point of the season. Um, I guess the team that maybe one of the teams that has impressed me the most to date, uh, and is a, a bit of a surprise when you consider their schedule, is Kettle Moraine Lutheran. Um, and I wrote about them a little bit uh, earlier in the week on Wisports. Sports. And um, when you look at their schedule that they've played, um, they really went out and challenged themselves uh, with some really strong non-conference games early in the season. And uh, they're sitting at 5-0 and right now, and they have wins over Xavier, Wauwatosa West, Martin Luther, Plymouth, and Milwaukee Lutheran. Um, and they've won those games uh, rather decisively. They've won uh, the closest game was on the road at Martin Luther. They won by three, but otherwise they were you know, plus 10 in most of those contests. So I think uh, that the fact that they're doing so well under coach Josh Lindner is, is a bit of a surprise. Um, Austin Wagner has been their leader. He's a six, six senior and a four year varsity player. And just looking at our stats on WIS sports, he's averaging 19.2 points and 7.5 rebounds. But it is a balanced attack. They have other players that can also score, defend, rebound. Uh, it's a well-balanced team, really well-coached team. And uh, I think that that, uh, if you say what's the, been the biggest surprise to date, I, I think Kettle Marine Lutheran would probably fit that bill. You mentioned some of those top-ranked teams in the Wisports.net coaches poll. Uh, but last week, there was a few teams behind them, teams ranked second that went down. We saw Menominee Falls lose to Pewaukee. Uh, we had Catholic Memorial go down. They went to uh, lost to Arrowhead, uh, bigger school, obviously. No, no shame in that. Lourdes Academy had been the second-ranked team in Division Five. They dropped a game and moved down to fifth this week. Um, and some other teams moved down. Bangor uh, suffered an early loss. Uh, any concerns for some of those teams that, that entered the season very highly ranked and already have a, a loss on their ledger? I don't think so. It's so early in the season that uh, teams aren't who they're going to be uh, down the road, obviously. And, and you see that uh, even in college basketball, a lot of a lot of teams that struggle early, get it figured out and, and become uh, the teams that many expect them to become. Of course, the one thing that can change that all is injuries. And to, to my knowledge, those schools have not suffered injuries. So I, I would expect that they they would bounce back and, and continue to have very good seasons. Um, so, uh, you know, Menominee Falls losing it uh, to Pewaukee was not a surprise. The, I think the, the spread was a bit of a surprise. I think most people expected that to be a little closer than it actually was. Um, but, you know, you get bumped off and sometimes that uh, refocuses the players and coaches and, uh, it, you know, makes them work that much harder. So, Sometimes a loss early in the season, especially if it's a non-conference game, isn't isn't the worst thing in the world. Um, and of course, ratings are 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 just that. They're just ratings. Um, you know, there there are good teams that aren't in our rankings, obviously. Uh, that uh, sometimes that motivates them to when when they're playing a, a ranked team um, to to prove that hey, they're just as good. So. Um, I think those teams that, that were ranked number two uh, in our initial poll that got bumped off uh, will still be there in the end. In the early going to this season, we've seen some pretty significant uh, scoring outbursts already by players. We had a 61-point performance by Cody Schmitz, a sophomore from GET. And as you look over the WSN uh, stats leaders page, there's about uh, 30 kids 
averaging 27 plus points a game so far. Now, some of them have only played one game or maybe a couple games, but man, it sure seems like we're getting some, uh, some big early performances this year. Again, some kids putting up some pretty big numbers. Right. We are. And, you know, Cody Schmitz, you mentioned him. Uh, he, he, he's been phenomenal. Um, you know, in addition to that, uh, uh, obviously you score 61 points and that's going to open a lot of eyes and really improve your scoring average. But he followed that up with two 39 point games uh, in, in, in victories over Cochrane Fountain City and Lacrosse Logan. So he's averaging 46.3 points, but he's also shooting 47% from the field and 81% from the free throw line and, and 46% from three. Um, he had seven threes in the win over Sparta. He had five more in the win over Lacrosse Logan. So, um, uh, you know, we had him at our WSN showcase uh, back uh, in the in the fall, and he was very, very impressive uh, when we watched him play there. So uh, this is a kid that that can really score, and uh, he does it in a lot of different ways. It's not just a, a big kid dominating small kids. He can score from the perimeter. He can do it off the dribble. Uh, he can he can rebound well and score off putbacks. So uh, another kid that's that's scoring at a very high rate and. Um, the, the interesting thing is, is he's a five, eight guard. Um, <laughs> and that's uh, Coy Nelson up at South shore, a school of about 60 kids. He had 41 on the season opening win over uh, winter. And then he had 36 uh, in, in a, in a win over LCO. Uh, you know, those, those teams are not strong. Uh, he will encounter some stronger competition, obviously uh, as the season goes on, but if you've had the chance to watch Koi, he's kind of fun to watch because he can pull the trigger from, from way beyond the three point arc. And he just has a way of, of, of freeing himself from defenders. Um, so uh, he, he's a fun player to watch. So if you, if you get a chance to, uh, to watch Coy Nelson, a 5'8 senior guard from South Shore, who's averaging 38.5, um, either on a stream or in person, I, I would encourage you to do that because he, he's, he just, uh, he, he's, he's a kid that certainly gets the most out of his physical abilities. And then he's a fun player to watch because of his ability to put the ball in the basket. We did get a chance to see him at the WSN showcase a few years ago. I think he was on my team even. I, I can't remember now, but um, yeah, really dynamic player. And it's not out of nowhere for him. He averaged 20 points a game as a sophomore, 25 a game as a junior, uh, but definitely taking it to another level as a senior. Um, you mentioned uh, when we were talking about some of the teams that that some of those top teams that have gone down, it's not necessarily that they're dealing with injuries or anything like that. But I, I do want to ask you, are we, do we have any players, any top level type players that are dealing with injuries right now um, that, you know, are working their way back? Any, anybody kind of bit by that injury bug early on? Well, there are some guys that are out and unfortunately some of them are out for the season. Um, Deshaun Harriel at Janesville Craig, who was a two-year starter. Uh, he's going to miss the whole season uh, due to an injury. Um, and, and yet Craig is sitting 3-0 in the Big 8 Conference, which is a heck of an accomplishment considering that uh, one of their uh, key players and a, a two-year starter at the guard position uh, is, is not able to play this year. So there, there are a few guys like that throughout, sprinkled throughout the state who unfortunately got hurt uh, during the fall sports season or maybe at the end of the of the high school season. You know, probably the biggest name uh, up in Nina uh, in the in the junior class um, is Klesmet. Uh, and um, unfortunately for Cal, he, he's going to be out the whole year. And, and of course, Nina has a very strong team and 
had uh, has one loss right now, but um, that was to Appleton East. Um, but uh, losing Cal, who's got a few D1 offers, um, was was a major blow for them. And yet they're still going to be very very strong. Uh, Prentice Young is is uh, at Wisconsin Lutheran, another junior. Uh, is um, I, I haven't noticed if he's back yet. I guess I should check some of the Wisconsin Lutheran box scores, but he missed all of the spring and and summer. Uh, with an injury. And um, it, like I said before, he's one of the better or more highly thought of uh, juniors in the state. So those are a few guys, obviously there's more, but those are the few guys off the top of my head that, uh, that are out right now uh, due to injury. I'm going to go back a little bit to uh, some research that I had done last week, looking at uh, an analysis of basketball scoring trends. Uh, going back to the 2010 season and, you know, just trying to put some context and actual, uh, you know, data around some of the changes that have been made in basketball from a rules perspective, from an administration perspective over the last decade or so, you know, we think back to the, uh, the launch of five divisions, the move to halves, uh, the impact of the COVID season. Um, did you get a chance to kind of look that over and digest that and, and have any any thoughts on, you know, what we have been seeing from a, a scoring trend, uh, you know, analysis over the last decade or so? I did. Yeah, I did take a look at that. And, um, you know, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, I think the fact that the, the, the games are longer now, obviously, we had we used to play 32 minute games and other 36 minute games. There's less stoppages because we don't have the quarters. We now have the halves. Um, and then even the fact that schools are playing extra games now, we went from 22 to 24 regular season games a couple of years ago. All of that uh, contributes to the, to the higher scoring games. And then, of course, uh, when you factor in um, the three-point line and how that teams have become much more proficient at that over the, over the last 10 years or so, that's another factor. Um, so, you know, you think back to the game, not that long ago when we had no three point lines, when we had four 32 minute quarters, when teams are playing 20 games uh, per year during the regular season, there's some pretty big changes. And um, I think it's reflected in those scoring totals. And yet I think fans like to see a team score and like to see kids perform and shoot and score and, and so forth. So I'm not uh, saying that the, the old rules were better, um, I, I just, you know, there are reasons behind why 1000 point scores today are, are not at all uncommon. Um, I was joking with a coach the other day that, you know, pretty that 2000 has become the, the new 1000, um, just because there are so many kids that reach 1000 now. And, and, and now we have a lot of kids or, or some kids, you know, maybe four or five, uh, in a good year, um, reach 2000 for their career. So, um, uh, yeah, I did happen to see that, and uh, I thought it was good research on your part, Travis, and just a lot of uh, a lot of data there that uh, coaches had mentioned to me that uh, none of that really surprised them um, because of the the change to halves in the 2015-16 season, um, and then of course, uh, you know, you say, well, extra games, how does that really impact um, the scoring totals? Well, just just from the fact that they're playing more, and obviously, kids are playing more year round now too, so that. Uh, that's another big reason for the, for the increase, the skill levels uh, better than it had been perhaps in the past when kids were, were going kind of from season to season playing football and basketball and baseball or, or soccer and basketball and, and track, whatever, whatever, what have you. Um, 
you know, obviously with AAU basketball, now kids are playing, oh gosh, close to 10 months of the year now uh, in organized fashion. So um, those, those statistics kind of reflect all of that. Yeah. And, you know, it was, it was interesting that we'd, we'd heard a lot of talk and, and there was a lot of assumptions, right. About what the change to, to halves did, would do the longer games. Um, and, and I just wanted to put some actual numbers behind it because I, I don't think anybody really had to be honest with you to see right. what kind of impact it, it truly did have. Uh, yeah. Same with the, the COVID situation. We knew that there were fewer games played. We knew that there was a lot of cancellations last year, but how many, was that it ended up being a lot obviously i mean we had uh almost 1400 fewer boys basketball games played last year than the year before yeah so that just puts some some context and actual hard data behind some assumptions that that we obviously had um in you know it uh it would be interesting to see you know some other data uh for instance we would love if we had the data around the number of possessions per game uh, you know, with the change to halves or the pace of play. Um, but unfortunately that requires a little bit more information than what we, we do have available. But um, I mean, those are the kinds of things that I hope, uh, you know, the WBCA, the WIA continue to look at uh, actual hard data. And this, this, this goes for any sport, to be honest with you, any change that they're looking at making, um, you know, there's, there's data and information out there to, to rely on beyond just assumptions and whatever else, whether it's a shot clock discussion, whether it's a games play discussion, whether it's game rules discussions, whatever it might be, um, you know, there's, there's information available. Um, want to kind of close out our, our, our talk today, Mark, with uh, a little bit more of a deep dive. We had talked about in our preview, you know, some of the top players in the state and, and some of the top seniors coming in, uh, in the player rankings, but, there's a little bit of a difference between, you know, player rankings, which take into account a, a lot of college potential and, and those kinds of things. And the, uh, the Mr. Basketball award, which is presented by the Wisconsin basketball coaches association. Uh, sometimes, you know, the, the players ranked the highlight, the highest in the player rankings aren't necessarily the ones that are the favorites for Mr. Basketball, because there's some different things that go into it. Of course, player rankings are a lot about potential, you know, college, uh, college level, uh, abilities, et cetera, Mr. Basketball, it, it kind of has a, a template. And we've talked about this before. You, you've got to be, you got to be a player, you know, with a good amount of, um, name recognition coming into the season. Generally, it's going to be a very highly ranked player because that's the, the best players, of course. Um, but you also have to have that team success. You have to have obviously an outstanding season. It, it, it matters what you do on the court. So with that said, who are some of the favorites for Mr. Basketball entering the year or in the early part of the year that we'll watch over the next few months? And then, of course, uh, you'll see who emerges throughout the season. Right. You know, you hit the nail on the head with all those criteria. I, I, I think that, uh, uh, you know, obviously the, the bigger name kids who are going to big schools are going to be are going to be on that list regardless. Uh, Seth Trimble at Menominee Fall. Leon Bond at Wauwatosa East, Max Nelson at Appleton North. Uh, I think Jack Rose at Wistosha Central, Jackson Pavletsky at Kimberly, Danilo Jovanovic at Whitnell. Uh, those are names that uh, immediately come to mind as, as guys that are going to be in that discussion. 
I think some other guys, uh, Max Weisbrod, you know, hitting 10 threes the other day and scoring 40 points for DeForest, uh, Marcus Tomaszek at Eshwabanon, dynamic scoring wing guard. Um, and then, you know, we got to take a look at our, at our stats too, you know, let's, let's see, you know, who's really putting up the numbers. And, uh, of course, uh, we mentioned Cody Schwartz, but he's uh, Schmitz. He's only a sophomore, believe it or not. So uh, he's not eligible since the award was just for seniors. So Cody Schmitz will have to wait a little bit on that. But uh, Coy Nelson, you know, does he even get in the discussion? A, a small school, very small school kid from South Shore. Does he get in the discussion? Well, he'd have to continue to score at an incredible rate and, and he'd have to help help his team to a near flawless record, in my opinion. Um, there's not a lot of room for for error, so to speak, for Coy, for Coy up there. Um, so, you know, I, I think those are guys uh, that, that will be in the mix. You know, maybe maybe there could be another guy or two. I, I usually write that uh, in an article looking at the top contenders and dark horses after Christmas, let the, let the kids get, you know, a good handful of games under their belt, see, see who's kind of emerged, um, both from a team perspective and also from an individual perspective. Um, so, you know, we got a ways to, to go, obviously, before that discussion begins. But uh, I, I do think that Seth Trimble probably entered the season as the leader in the clubhouse. Um, if you had to pick a, a guy uh, to win it, uh, you know, prior to the start of the season, you'd probably take Seth, who's going to North Carolina. Um, you know, Leon Bond at Wauwatosa East, who's going to Virginia, had a huge game against in a win over Wanakee, but then he was kind of shut down in their second game, which uh, was a loss to Brookfield East. So uh, Max Nelson's had some big games up at Appleton North um, and, and they've had some big wins early in the season, yet they got bumped off the other day. So, um, you know, you got to kind of let the, the ball bounce a little bit, so to speak, before we, we uh, you know, really make a definitive statement in terms of, hey, this, this is the guy to beat. But you know what, Travis, I think this year is pretty open. Um, I mean, I mentioned Seth as leader in the clubhouse prior to the start of the season. I think that's true, but um, he, he's not uh, so far ahead that others couldn't catch up. Um, so, you know, let's see how this plays out. And, you know, maybe a kid like Danilo Jovanovic uh, helps Whitnell to a huge season. And, uh, you know, he's going to Miami, Florida, so he's going to play in the ACC. And, and he's a really good player, a really versatile player that maybe a lot of people haven't seen. Um, and uh, I, I think he's a guy that could could definitely be in the mix. And same thing with Jackson Pavlitsky at Kimberly. So, uh, see how things uh, go over the next uh, several weeks here and and then probably put a list together of, of guys who are going to really be in the mix and uh, we'll write about it throughout the season on wisports.net you know a couple things stand out of of note in in those players that you mentioned number one a number of them are from the greater metro conference uh seth trimble from menominee falls leon bond from tosa east uh, even Andrew Rohde from Brookfield yes. Central. Forgot about Andrew. You know, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. He he, uh, Andrew's definitely in the mix as well. Yeah. Yeah, and so you know, even at the conference level, um, they're going to be fighting it out for Player of the Year in the league, let alone any recognition or or awards beyond that. And you know, whoever wins that conference, that's going to go a long way in determining, you know, top player in the state potentially. Same thing goes in the Fox Valley Association, where Max Nelson is in that uh, in that group. Jackson Pavletsky, you mentioned, you know, potentially a, a kid like Chris Morgan at Kaukauna, a lot of talent in the Fox Valley as, uh, as normal. So, 
you got to win your your player of the year in your conference before you can uh, get too hyped about uh, winning Mr. Basketball. And there's a lot of competition for uh, for those. And speaking of Max Nelson as well, um, I was just looking over the our stats leaders, excuse me, <clears throat> as we were talking about, you know, top uh, top players and, and some of the kids that have, have excelled early on. As you mentioned earlier, uh, Nelson averaging 29 points a game. But what struck me is he leads the state and made three pointers right now. He's made 18 three-pointers, uh, shooting 47% from three, and, and he's a 6'8 kid. Uh, so he's uh, he's off to a good start and showing that versatility as well to his game. Right, and that's, that's you know, there are a couple of things about Max. I think, you know, watching his development over the years because he's been up since his freshman year uh, for Coach Chris Kellett at Appleton North. I, you know, obviously, he he's always been a guy that could shoot, Um but I think he's taken it to the next level now with, with his ability to make consistent uh, three-point shots. The other thing is he's really physically developed so, so he can bang and, and rebound and, and, um, and defend around the basket. So when you look at a college prospect at 6'8", that can, can play both inside and outside and really drag bigs away from the basket with his ability to knock down shots, I think that's, that's the thing that really stood out to people uh, about Max Nelson. Hardworking kid, uh, blue collar kid, uh, very humble young man, just a uh, just a real solid uh, player uh, in all facets of the game, and uh, you know it shows with uh, with Appleton North. I know they lost the other day to, to Nina, but uh, you know they do have some good wins under their belt. And I think uh, when you look at the trajectory of the North program uh, since Max has been on the team, it's 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 been improvement, improvement, improvement. So. I know they're, they're hoping to continue that and they got a tough game Friday against Oshkosh North, but you know, they, they also beat Bayport earlier in the year. So, um, uh, you know, it's, it's a team that I think is going to, going to have some success, but you mentioned, you know, winning player of the year in the conference is a, is a big thing. And, and it certainly is. And, you know, Kimberly's is as good as, as ever. And, you know, Jackson's leading the way Pavletsky. So you got, you, you gotta, you know, think that if, if North can somehow get by Kimberly, uh, and if if uh, if Max can have a big game um, against Kimberly, that's going to really help his cause. You mentioned Coy Nelson as a possible small school uh, small school player to keep an eye on. A few others to to maybe throw into that mix as small school guys that if their their team has great success and, and they continue to put up big numbers, could at least get in that conversation. Think about a kid like Casey Verhagen at Sheboygan Lutheran, Luke Hartle at Lake Country Lutheran. Uh, Carter Olson at uh, Cuba City as well are are kids that that have you know that ability to perhaps get in that conversation um, and and we'll see as things go over the course of the next few months here. Um, Mark, always good to chat with you. Always good to check in. We'll continue to do so throughout the season and uh, get your thoughts on all things boys basketball. Uh, you know, next thing I think we'll probably be talking about in a couple of weeks is some of these holiday tournaments coming up. We've got great ones on tap, including the Wisconsin Basketball Yearbook Shootout. Um, just give us a little bit of a preview, you know, time, location. If people want to watch, uh, come to the games, all that good stuff. Uh, what's sure. what's the lowdown with the shootout this year? Well, the lowdown is we're, we're on for December 28th, 29th, and 30th at Concordia University. We have eight games each day. We have 32 teams involved. Many of the players that we and teams that we just discussed We'll be participating. The full schedule of games is on WBBY.com. And uh, we look forward to uh, to having the event this year after not having it last year because of COVID. So um, 
yeah, very excited for that opportunity for the kids to play in a in a neat environment uh, in front of a lot of people uh, over the holidays. So, um, uh, you know, we're we're full bore ahead, uh, and knock on wood, uh, you know that that that'll be the way for everybody the entire season. Although I know that probably unrealistic, and we've already had some games postponed and moved to a later date because of COVID protocol, but. Uh, um, you know, we're hoping that uh, that we can keep that at arm's length for the for the whole season. All right, good stuff. We'll uh, we'll chat about more of the uh, showcase and again some of those basketball tournaments coming up over the holiday break uh, in, in the the week or so leading up to it. But Mark, uh, thanks again. Uh, we'll chat at you again soon. And uh, yeah, good to good to get the season underway and get things going in uh, in a, a big way. Uh, but that'll do it. He's Mark Miller, voice basketball writer at Wisports.net. I'm Travis Wilson. This has been a Wisports.net podcast. We'll see you at a game.